Repent. The word seems a little bit old fashioned, <laughs> kind of out of style today in today's world. Kind of goes against our grain. Society says, focus on me. That truth is what I believe, what I think. How dare anyone challenge that? God has been speaking to me in my heart a lot about how vital it is for me to say, I'm sorry. I've come to realize that repentance is the key to true freedom. Maybe that's why repentance has been the cry of Christians forever, really. John the Baptist preached it. Says he appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And Jesus, his first sermon, highlighted it. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then soon after that, when the Holy Spirit rested on the disciples and gave them languages of all those who were around them, and the crowd wondered what this episode meant, Peter answered by telling them that Jesus was God's plan and that he came to forgive and and save and to bless. And the crowd just responded by saying, well, what should we do? Peter responded, repent, repent, be baptized, every one of you. And sometime soon after that, Peter and John were surrounded by a crowd that had gathered because they had witnessed the healing of a lame man who had been at the temple gate since he was a child. And as that crowd gathered, Peter appealed to the crowd and said, Repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And on through the New Testament, it continues. And then in the last book of the Bible. The call to repent is repeated over and over and over again. Revelation 3, 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Repent. This is our third in what will be a 13-part series that we began 2020 with. And our goal in this series is step by step, practice by practice, habit by habit, come closer in our relationship with God. To receive His grace, to be empowered for a God-honoring life. The first week, two weeks ago, was the foundation. We talked about God's love. Last week, we talked about my need. This week, repent. Repentance. Repentance is what you might call ground zero in our relationship with God. This is where I begin. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner by birth. I'm a sinner by choice. I inherited a bent to rebellion from my mama and my daddy. And that infection 
goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Paul clarified the dilemma for us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when he said, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, that would be Adam and Eve, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all, because all sinned. We've all contributed. All of us are sinners by birth and by choice. There's none who escape it. This week I was reminded of that a bit with the con, uh, coronavirus that has been wreaking havoc around the world. Airline flights are being canceled. Towns and countries are being quarantined. And among the efforts you probably noticed to contain this spread was the docking of one of those giant cruise ships at a port in Italy. Now they were re- released in, on Thursday, but... There was one passenger who was suspected of being infected with the virus and they were being held on board in isolation and all the other 6,000 plus passengers and crew were prevented from disembarking. Can you imagine a cruise like that? What a vacation. They were finally released on, on Thursday. But the truth is, that no one on this good ship called planet Earth is free of the terminal virus called sin. We're all, we're all infected. Again, Romans 3, 23, for all, and I'd like to say I, for I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I, we, you, me, all of us together. I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong to boast but I'm inclined to go that direction whenever I need a little boosting. I know that pride is destructive. I see what it does to relationships, but I can easily go down that road when my ego needs a bit of protecting. I can too easily stretch the the truth. I can too easily ignore my faults. I can too easily tune out integrity. By nature and by choice, I must say with Paul that I've colored outside the lines of the box, outside the boundary lines. I've sinned. I've I've acted hurtfully, self-centeredly, unjustly. And that sin grows naturally in my nature, that rebellion, that rebellion against God's ways. That's my reality. That's your reality. And that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to deliver. He came to free us from this bent that destroys me, that destroys every relationship that that I, I have the opportunity to make. That was Jesus' mission. He said in Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, praise God. Praise God. God is doing everything he can to help. He doesn't want anyone, anyone, not a single person to be lost, to die eternally. So he says, he says to us, he says to you, to me, repent. Be sorry for what you've done. And it's really the first step 
in a relationship that needs mending, whether it's a relationship with God or with someone else. You've got to be sorry for what you've done. You've got to admit that your behavior has been hurtful. And it can't just be words. There's got to be appropriate actions to accompany those words. You've got to mean it. You've got to act it. You've got to speak it. You've got to be specific about what you've done and how that has impacted that relationship, how it's impacted others. When the Spirit of God taps you on the shoulder, so to speak, he includes a note of weightiness with that tap. You see, it's not just a small thing I've done. It's, it's God's boundary line that, that I've broken. Sin sails in eternally hateful territory and hurtful territory. It makes sinners, sinners, the likes of you, the likes of me. It makes us people who are lost and without hope. It makes us savable, but it took Jesus to the cross. And so when the Spirit taps us on the shoulder, we've got to realize it's a big deal. It's really something what God has done for us. We're not talking about just a little offense created by indulging in a peach pie that was intended for Sabbath guests. My offenses are against God. The ways I've dishonored, the ways I've ignored, the ways I've broken his eternal ways, the way I've created an enormous gulf between me and him. And so repentance includes acknowledging how my words, how my behaviors have have hurt him, have, have, have broadened that gap. And so here it we need some clarification when it, when it comes to repentance before God. One of the biggest challenges, one of the most weighty and challenging stumbling stones for many of us is the dangerous idea that when we come to God, it's got to be our work. We've got to come to Him. I've got to get cleaned up before I come to Him before I can ask him for forgiveness. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus said this, come to me, he said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me as a sinner. Come to me, Jesus said. He said in Luke 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's God's goodness. It's God's mercy. It's his grace. It's his love that even leads me to repent. It's his work first. Like Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the goodness of God leads me to repent. Every longing in my heart for truth, every longing in my heart for purity, every conviction that I get of my own mistakes, every impulse to do right is an evidence that God is at work in my life. He is the source of every movement toward integrity and and justice, and love. God is at work. Repentance does include an admission as well. 
in order for an apology to work, in order for an apology to count to God or to others, I have to own up to my mistakes. I have to stop blaming others. Stop blaming my situation. Stop making excuses for my behavior. And I have to say, that's hard for me. I'm a good one for making excuses. I'm a good one for, well, saying that there's some reason that I've acted in an unloving way when I've spoken in a harsh way or disrespectful way with words that might hurt a coworker or a loved one. When I've been deceitful or overbearing or unkind in some way, I'm, I'm always, my typical response is to find a reasonable excuse. To say, well, I did that because. Or you're at fault and that's why I did that. I blame others. I cry about my unmet needs. I excuse my behavior. They started it. They were wrong too. They bear some responsibility. I was wrong, but. Have you ever done that before? I was wrong, but. And when you say this, you say, I was wrong, but. And you've taken away everything your apology has given. Just this week, there was an issue with a person that I've worked with for I'm not going to say how long. Otherwise, it would identify who that is. And I, I really thought that I was the one who had been wronged. So I waited for an apology. I listed in my mind why there was no way I needed to apologize. It was their job. I wanted to say I was wrong, but. <laughs> and then list all the ways that I felt I was wrong. But, you know, I knew the relationship was more important than just some particulars. And here's a bit of wisdom that I've learned from six-plus decades of doing life. I always have a but. (laughs) I was wrong, but. I always have that. Excuses linger everywhere in my human psyche. And I'd like to challenge you as I challenge myself, don't go there. Don't go there. It never helps. Excuses never help. David's prayer is a good example. I think David's prayer after his foray with Bathsheba is a good example how how the true admittance of wrong is real sorrow for sin. You know, in David's prayer, Psalm 51, there was no effort to excuse himself. He didn't say, I was wrong, but. He didn't try to explain away his failure. He didn't try to escape the consequences he had coming. David saw, you read it, David saw the enormity of his failing. It was horrible. It was a horrendous sin. And when God pointed to that sin, Through Nathan the prophet, David utterly loathed his depravity and he prayed for a pureness of heart. Psalm 51, 1 to 3. Have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash my, away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. There's no excusing in that. I, I like the way Oswald Chambers put it. The surest sign that God is at work in my life is when I say and mean it, I've sinned. That's the surest sign that God is at work in my life. That is repentance. Repentance always brings me to the point where I say, I've sinned. I've wronged. I've made a mistake. And when I say that, and when I really mean it, God is at work in my life. Anything less is, well, it's just simply being sorry for a foolish mistake. It's just a reflex action caused by self-disgust. Repentance has to include coming to the core, coming to grips with who I am and what my rebellion means. I gotta, I've got to acknowledge that within me resides a putrid infection called sin. It's not just a trivial matter. Yehiel Denur spent two years as a prisoner in Auschwitz during World War II. His Holocaust writings were some of the first to speak about that that horrible, emotionally charged subject. And in 1961, Denur was called to to testify in the trial of the Nazi leader Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann, you may recall, was one of the main architects of what they called Hitler's final solution. He was called the the butcher of humanity, Adolf Eichmann. After a a few sentences in Denur's opening statement, here testifying in this trial, he suddenly began to cry. Then he collapsed to the floor, and he couldn't speak anymore. They had to carry him from the room. In an interview on 60 Minutes in 1963, Denur recounted that incident of fainting at Eichmann's trial, and he was asked about it. He was asked, what, what happened there? Were you overcome with hatred? Were you overcome with fear? Were you, were you overcome with horrid memories? He was asked, no, he said. No, it was none of these. Rather, Denur explained to Wallace, the commentator on 60 Minutes at that time, all at once he realized, he realized that Eichmann was not the godlike army officer that had sent so many to their deaths. Eichmann, as Denur saw him, was just an ordinary man. Just an ordinary man. And Denur said, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like he. 
That's what I need to do, really, in facing my own situation. When I see someone strung out on opiates, I think, I should think, that could be me. When I see or hear someone about someone who was arrested for drunken driving, I think, I should think, that could be me. When I read of families destroyed by divorce, I think, I should think, that could be me. This summer I read a book called Just Mercy. And it chronicles the abuse of power, the injustice, and deep-seated prejudice that has been such a blight in our nation for so many generations. That blight that makes someone of color a reason for abusing them, hating them, marginalizing them. That that prejudice that puts innocent people in prison and keeps them there on death row. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. I could have been one of those people acting from really criminal negligence and hateful prejudice. I could have been. I could have been. Jesus said, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin, that touches us and, and moves us. When the Holy Spirit stirs my conscience and your conscience, it's not just my relationship with that person that's coming into focus. That's not the only thing that bothers me. It should, and it does, but it's more than that. It's got to be more. It's also my relationship with God because it's who I am at my core. David said, In this psalm, Psalm 51, he said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is, Oswald Chambers said, this is, repentance is, repentance is the foundation of Christianity. The foundation of Christianity. Why? Because it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. To repent, to to acknowledge, to see. But there's more to repentance. True repentance also means that I I genuinely repent of my hurtfulness. In other words, it's more than just saying I'm sorry. I've been sorry for lots of things. But I keep on doing them anyway. Which means I'm really not sorry. I've been sorry for wrong actions. I've been sorry for broken promises. But oftentimes I just keep doing it. An apology, a sorry, is is a good start. It's a good way to, to, to begin to repair a relationship. But sorry is a flimsy patch when it ignores deeper issues. And I think the the story of Pharaoh and Moses is a good illustration. Eventually, you know the story, after he had and all of Egypt had suffered one plague after another plague after another plague, the plague of frogs and and blood and gnats and flies, the plague of of, a blight on the Egyptian livestock, the plague of of boils and hail. And Pharaoh said, 
okay, okay, enough. I acknowledge that, that this wrong, and you can go ahead and I, I've been wrong to enslave Israel. But he was only sorry because, because he didn't want to endure any more pain. He wasn't sorry for his insolence. He wasn't sorry for his pride. He wasn't sorry for his defiance against God's sovereignty. He wasn't sorry for that. His sorrow was a ploy to escape the plagues. Sorry is a good move when a relationship needs repairing. Broken friendships require a sorry. But my regret for my wrong must be strong enough to create a change in my behavior. If I'm really sorry, if I'm really sorry, I won't want to act that hurtful way again. I'll make every effort I can not to do it again. If I'm really sorry, if I'm really sorry, I'm going to move away from those actions. I'm going to move away from those attitudes that destroy my relationship with God and destroy my relationship with others. And I may not be immediately successful, okay? But what's important is that I'm really sincere about changing. I need to be determined about changing. I may need to enlist the help of others to help me change. I may need the support of a small group who cares for me. I may need an accountability partner who will help me. I may need professional counseling. But I do what I do. I do what I need to do because I want to change. This inner regret, this, this craving for something that I am not is the Spirit of God. Not me. It's the Spirit of God pleading with me. Pleading with me to take a hold of God's grace. Take a hold of the joy of knowing Him and, and being known by Him. You know, God is constantly doing that. He's constantly tugging at us, tugging at our hearts, attracting our minds toward His amazing grace and the joy of a life of integrity. God is always pulling at us constantly. His Spirit is always pleading. <clears throat> at the close of Scripture, I love what the Spirit says. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Right now. <coughs> right now. You're longing for something better. You wouldn't be here unless you were. You wouldn't be here unless you were. You're longing for something better than the world gives that's why you're listening and I'd like to ask you to ask God to give you repentance to give you a picture of that unselfish love of his perfect character of the glorious future that he has for you ask God ask God ask him 
ask him to create in you an inexpressible craving for his goodness. Ask him. Ask him for that, that that you don't have and you can't satisfy without him. Ask him. Say with David, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than so. Say with David, create in me a clean heart. Say that. Ask him. Ask him for forgiveness. And whether, when there's a deficit in a relationship and forgiveness is needed, forgiveness is requested, it's an acknowledgement that you've done something wrong and you have an opportunity to, to restore that relationship. And when you ask for forgiveness, you're really being very vulnerable. And you know that. Because you're admitting personal failure. When you ask for forgiveness, that's what you're doing. You're surrendering your power in that relationship. You're giving up your rights in that relationship. You're right in that relationship. You're saying, I'm vulnerable. You, you know the story. Jesus told the story about two men who were in need of forgiveness. One person knew he was. The other had no idea that he was in need. One was a scoundrel, and the other one was a saint. And interestingly, in Jesus' story, the scoundrel knew he was, knew that he was in need, and knew that others looked at him as the same, but he fell before God in prayer, beating his chest in anguish and saying, pleading, pleading for God's mercy, God's forgiveness. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The other man, the other man who was honored and respected by all because of his appearance was surprisingly far from God. He hadn't fallen into any grosser sins that, that would make most of us ashamed. And so he thought, a boastful prayer will suffice in worship. And so he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. You know, forgiveness isn't something you can demand. But it must be something that you need. You must see your need. And if you will, the Spirit of God will expose you to that in mercy, in love. He wants you to repent. He wants you to come. He wants you to ask. He wants you to receive. And you can't get better on your own. Jeremiah said, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Impossible. And neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. There's no help except in God. He is our only help. So I just want to ask you again, again, here now, don't wait for another occasion. 
don't think that there's another option. Don't despair that your defects are too great to forgive. Don't think that the breach is too wide or too deep to be helped. Jesus' sacrifice was for you. His sacrifice was for me. He died because there was no escape from sin's power. There was no hope. No hope for you, no hope for me, for peace, for happiness, no hope except through him. That's why he died. So I want to challenge you right here in this quiet place. Go to him now. Knowing everything that might make you feel unlovely, yeah, there's that. Knowing everything that might make you feel unacceptable and unforgivable. Knowing all that, but also knowing that you will have a heart that's open to him. Because, you know, he already knows your heart anyway. And he loves you just like you are. No change necessary for his love. He loves you despite your failures. He loves you despite your hardness, your regrets. He loves you despite your catastrophes, your weakness. So I challenge you right now, speak to him. Speak to him with the words of David. Would you? Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of eternal life. Would you do that? Just quietly right here now. Ask him. He's not going to force you. He's not going to make you. He won't make you repent. (laughs) He won't. But if you will say no to sin and yes to him, it opens up the door of everything good. I remember when I did that myself. I was just a young man. 18 years old, in a little Baptist church. I knew nothing about God's goodness except that he amazingly loved me in Jesus Christ. And I was a sinner in need of a Savior. That's all I knew. I stood and accepted him. And I have never once regretted that since. So my challenge to you, Do it. Ask him. He won't make you, but he wants you to, to repent, to say no to that wrong and yes to him. And by the way, when the accuser whispers in your ear that you don't deserve it, that you're not sincere enough, that you're not devoted enough, just turn away from him and look to Jesus the one who loves you. And tell the enemy this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of all. (laughs) Tell him that. Tell him that. And tell him that you can be saved by God's unconditional, matchless, grace, gracious love. Today, today is the day. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, today, again, today.
hear his, hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your goodness has drawn us to you. Your love for us knows no match here on earth. There's nothing we can do. There's no way we can earn your goodness, your love, your forgiveness. No way. And you don't want us to earn it. You just want us to say yes to you and no to our own selfish ways. That's all. So today, right now, all of us here are at this first and most important step. And I want to say, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you'd like to say yes to Jesus, no matter whether it's a hundred thousandth time or first time, if you'd like to say yes to Jesus Christ, raise your hand. And saying yes to him, you're opening the door to God's work in your life. And you're closer to him than, than at any time when we say, I'm sorry, I need your help, I repent. Thank you for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.